0: And welcome back to Searching for a Savior. Today we discuss Senator Jeffrey Flake, Jeffrey without the second E, a Republican from Arizona who comes from Snowflake, Arizona, and is a member of the Mormon Church. Flake first was elected into the national government as a representative in the House in 2000 and has since made waves within the past few months due to his controversial book that details some of the failings of the Republican Party uh, that allowed Donald Trump to take the presidency uh, from his, his point of view. Uh, and has also led our esteemed panel of Dante, Ben, and myself, uh, mainly Dante and Ben, to rage a little bit. And I'm sure this is going to be a very interesting entry into our uh, not-so-lengthy history at this point. So I'm just going to turn it over and say, so how do we feel about Jeff Flake? I think we have to start with... <laughs> I, it, you to the <laughs> ah, I think we have to start with what is going on
1: in Arizona. I mean, let's be clear here. They have both of their senators at this point. Have kind of taken up this bipartisanship flag. I mean, really. I mean, like John McCain and Jeff Flake both have kind of come out now with Jeff Flake's book and and John McCain's John McCain. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know that like his, him. I mean, it, like this this new like that's the, the whole premise of this book is that like we're conservatives and we should be working with people right. yeah. and and we need to bring it's back bipartisanship conservative principles. Yeah. And, yeah. So I, I, but I. I think we said this before. Like, I think Jeff, Flake is someone who has a long history as a legislator. You can look at his history. I mean, he's been in politics for a long time. Executive director of the Goldwater Institute. Like, he has, like, real conservative, like, chops. But at the same time, (laughs) he has really boring conservative chops. Yes. Well, see, okay. Here's my argument. And uh, for those listening— Dante got some sunburn this weekend, huh? Yes. uh, I was jet skiing. We have a fourth member of our podcast today. It is Joe's dog Brody. So if you hear panting at any point, it's not Ben. It's Joe's dog Brody.
0: (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. So, so. (laughs) He's saying that because Dante doesn't breathe quick enough to actually (laughs) pant.
1: (laughs) So, my thoughts on Jeff Flake, right? Like, to your point about him being a a more traditional conservative, um, you know, very long legislative history, I almost count it as a good thing in this political environment that we're in that, like, Here's a guy who's super conservative, Mormon background, very Mormon background. Um, I don't agree with a lot of his politics, but at the same time, I feel like I still want him and more people like him to come back into the political conversation because these are like – he is a classical conservative senator that while you don't agree with him – you can work with somebody like him within the framework of politics, whereas the new normal with, like, the Trumps and Ted Cruz's of the world, there's just no working with these people. You know, I feel like Jeff Flake, as much as I don't agree with him, it's it, he has the respect for office. He has the respect for maintaining true conservative ideals, and, and he understands how to work politically in, in, like you were saying, a bipartisan fashion. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say I mean, he does have some bipartisanship under his belt. He was part of the Gang of Eight on immigration reform. Right. And so, I mean, at the same time, like, there, there is some history of him, like, at least having bipartisan dialogue. He – outside – oddly enough, we said this – outside of LGBT discrimination – He doesn't really have a lot of chops to bipartisan voting. Right. Um, He he
0: tends to be a party-line voter. But even with the uh, LGBT legislation, it's really interesting because he voted yes for the constitutional – for defining marriage as between a man and a woman, but then also voted for – uh, Anti discrimination uh, in, in the employment sense. So it's interesting because it's it's like he's playing that game as well. See, But I think I think that's actually fairly classical conservatism. Yeah, agreed.
1: Is that like because it, there's, it's there's, okay to define marriage, right. but we shouldn't discriminate against people in business well, because of it. Because I, I think the conservative viewpoint is that there's a an economic argument for not you know for putting as many people to work as possible, regardless of their orientation. Sure, really sure. has nothing to do with their employment. And contributing to the economy, and yet in a conservative, especially a Mormon's mind, two men kissing—oh no, going to hell! The whole world's going to burn. We can't let that happen. Fair, yeah. fair. I, mean, I, so I, I, I th- don't agree with that, but that's—I yeah, mean, I plot. think I think that stance is a fairly classical conservative. Right. stance. and that's kind of what I'm saying is that like he's a conservative who's very conservative, but that one that you like. And Jeff Jeff Flake says this himself: like uh, classical conservatism is being steady, measured, and predictable in your policy stances. And I feel like he himself is predictable in his policy stances to the point where you could work with him. You could say, okay, his principles are going to make him deny, or disagree with X, Y, and Z in our bill, but we know why he's going to disagree with them, so let's try and come up with an argument that can sway him from his yeah. perspective. And, and and people like him, you can do that with. People like you know the Trump Republicans, you can't. Yeah, I mean, but I... I To me, it still points to, you know, he he proposed these amendments and he proposed these bills around immigration. I think is a prime example where he was all in favor of a path to citizenship for for aliens that were already in the country and and you know and and really had a a, I think what a lot of people would consider a fairly liberal progressive viewpoint on this path to citizenship. But when the Dream Act came up, he voted against it. You know, And that's – it's kind of the thing is that like he's always been willing to engage in bipartisan dialogue. Right. But the DREAM Act was a fairly moderate immigration reform. I mean it was – not even reform. It was a fairly moderate immigration stance on letting these children who right. came here as children against their wishes be productive members of society and give them citizenship for it. And he voted against it. Right. I mean and it was essentially a policy that he had advocated already. And so while I think its it's OK to look at him and say – you know, it's great that you're willing to engage in, in bipartisan dialogue. I don't know that I've yet seen him as someone who's willing to, outs, outside of employment non-discrimination,
0: he's kind of always still voted party line. Right. No, Absolutely even right.
1: when the bill in front of him resembles right. his, own, his own. But union. isn't that
0: isn't that a very typical story though? Like, would yes. they say all the right things? We hear the the dialogue. We hear all that. But when push comes to shove. It's right. you play the, to the political. I, I
1: agree with you, and but well, I have a few, a few points off of that. Oh the boy. first is in this political day and age, right? I feel like those of us that mm-hmm. want to return to a return to political normalcy, it has to be an incremental approach, right? So the first approach is to get back to normal politicians who say the right things, regardless of what they wind up doing. We need to first, like, we need to take progress somewhere. That's an
0: interesting argument. Like,
1: like, like, like but democratic, pro- the democratic pro- process in general is an incremental one. Right, like you make incremental progress. There's but no see, I, th- but I feel that's okay for a senator. I don't feel it's okay for a president. Oh, I'm, I'm, Oh, oh, one hundred percent. You yeah. know, like I, I think when we talk about someone being president, I want someone who's going to do the right things, and and even if that means that occasionally they engage in bipartisan conversation and still end up doing very Republican things, that's fine. It, it's 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 principle. It's the way it works. But his voting history seems to point to the fact that. He'll have this conversation and say all the right things all the time, right. and still be a Republican rubber stamp. And and I don't think any president should be a rubber stamp. I think what we're seeing well, right actually, now. Well, actually, funny enough, you say that like Chuck, himself, <laughs> has just it's just been I forget what news program it was on, but he actually himself said he doesn't think the Senate should be a rubber stamp for the president. Right. I mean, I think it's very interesting because he is one of those right now, one of several senators. It's a very bipartisan conversation happening in the Senate about the check on the president. Right. Is is that you know. I mean we, that that sanctions bill that just came yeah. through. Even though I, I have an issue with the Iranian part of it, but that I mean that's a perfect example. Yeah, I mean, but I think it's 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 a really clear stance. I think where some of your your really moderate bipartisan senators are really pushing that direction to say like we've got to rise above party and accept that this president and the Senate are going to be at odds, and 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 the, the parties don't exist to make right. power fluid. The the our governmental structure is set up so that the Senate is a check on the president, and the president is also a check on the legislative bodies. And I think at this point we all agree that the House is fairly irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's sad to say, but you're right. Um, and yeah. I mean you saw that exact thing at work where somebody – we talked about this uh, on, on the, the pod Joe, uh, Joe and I recorded on Friday. Um, Mitch McConnell put, kept the Senate in pro forma session so that Trump can't make any recess appointments. I mean that yeah. – I, that's a move that Joe and I – we never direction. saw that coming out of Mitch McConnell, but I think that's that's indicative of what you're saying is that the Senate's realizing they need to play check on the president now, and that's yeah. really their, their role. Well, I think in some ways, Mitch McConnell, you're going to start seeing stuff like that because that's him – that's the political gamesmanship. Right. That's sure. him saying we're going to do this because we have to protect the party from what he might do. And I think the reality was that if if they didn't do this, there was this fear that once they went into recess – Jeff Sessions is going to be fired and we're going to have this kind of snowball effect. But I think what they did by saying was like, listen, you're not just appointing somebody while we're out. We're not going to give you that option. So don't bother with it because they know that if he were to fire Jeff Sessions, at some point, they're going to have to draw a line in the sand with him. At some point, they're going to have to be the way the legislature was with Nixon and go, you've gone too far. Mitch McConnell would rather – Congress not have to get to that point, right? They would rather keep him just as much in check as they can so that they don't have to get to the point where they draw a line in the sand because it will cost them politically. Everyone who stood up and said he was great and wonderful. There are now seven months of, of Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and many other Republicans saying this Russia thing is nothing. We don't look at it. Don't worry about it. We need to move on. Let's, and slowly and surely they have started changing that story. Because they realize that at some point, they're going to have to draw
0: a line in the sand right. and be on one side or the other. How about Chris Christie this morning uh, on one of the morning shows? Yeah, it's fairly common. Grand juries are fairly common at this point. He's how, really taking this. How, interesting. How the, like, How about the Fox
1: News anchor calling for a grand jury for Hillary Clinton and then one day later after the news <laughs> broke about Trump's grand jury saying – That grand juries are an undemocratic farce. Was
0: that the same Fox News anchor that is now suspended as they look into sexting allegations? I hope so. But anyway, let's loop it back a little bit to Jeff Flake. So uh, in October of 2008, Esquire magazine uh, named him one of the top ten best members of Congress. And the reason they did this was because they said he, he is a true conservative. Flake is as rare as the dodo. Republicans should learn from him, and liberals and libertarians will find in him a strong privacy rights ally. Does that bode well at this point in time when we're looking to who will go past 2018? Once we figure out how the you know all the chips lie after that, okay, In 2020, all, first what? of all, he voted against internet privacy. Right, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> okay,
1: what does privacy rights ally I mean? Because he is vehemently against internet. <laughs> thank you. Like, what is so? What what kind of privacy?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, we don't have Esquire on the line, but I'll be sure to email. Well, them get now. them,
1: call them. Because I mean, like privacy, but, and I would say, like this may be. <laughs> I don't want to be this guy, but I'm going to go there. This may be the, the, the marital bed privacy yes, rights okay, that a lot of Mormons are in favor of because right. of the history of the Mormon church and their views on marriage. Poly- and, yeah. and you will find a lot of Mormons who are like, the government shouldn't be involved in marriage. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that to insinuate anything about Jeff Flake or you know his great-grandfather – um, I'm just shocked that you were the one that took him there. It took us there. Well, really, are you shocked? <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> as someone who grew up Southern Baptist, there's nothing I do better than talking about the Mormons. Um, but I, I do. But there's this classical Mormon kind of thing of like, yeah. you need to stay out of our marital bed because right. it's none of your business. So it doesn't surprise me that he has kind of this sexuality, privacy, allyship. Right um, what, but at the same time, he's not an overall privacy ally because yeah. Yeah, he distinctly voted to let cable companies sell your browsing history. Yeah yeah, that's that's not good. Um, and, but and I and also, I like, I do think there's something to be said for him being kind of predictable and 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 reasonable a lot of the time. He's right. He's not a Ted Cruz. he's right. not a I, I feel like we need to get back to having him, Jeff Flake types as Republican candidates. So that we can get back to normal, disagreeing
0: with them. And I think it's the reasonableness. I think that's the, the key here. Is that we, this is one candidate that we haven't really talked about in a long time on this podcast, especially someone who is really reasonable and isn't just towing party lines for the hell of uh, you know their political career. I think that some of the stuff that he's done in the past, and we talked a little bit about LGBT issues, but one of them was being one of fifteen senators to vote to end "Don't pass, Don't Tell." Like that's a big deal. I mean, that was a huge deal when it happened. Uh, that was a huge uh, argument in the Republican Party. Um, as to why it shouldn't be done. So I think that reasonableness is something that we really, we obviously do not see today. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see if we have a candidate, regardless of which party they come from, that can tow that line and really play on both sides of the aisle come 2020. Because my personal view is that's what's needed.
1: Right. No, I agree completely. I mean... Okay, end of pod, bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just... What kind of... You know, his legislative history points to this not being the case, but part of me wonders, like, is he coming out and looking like such a reasonable, bipartisan, potential candidate because we're in such a polarizing – like, basically, has – has the Republican Party shifted so far to the right that somebody who's very right and religious like Jeff Flake looks reasonable and moderate? Well, let's be honest. And the if we get back to normalcy, will Jeff Flake look like a loon?
0: Potentially, because the reason yeah. that we're really focusing on him right now is because he is one of the few Republicans who has come out so strongly against the shit that is happening in White House. Right. That's why we decided to talk about him today, honestly, yeah. because he's hey, in right. the news with and, everything going and on. I will say,
1: to be fair, he also – he called for Donald Trump to pull out of the race when the Access Hollywood tapes came out. I mean, he – Jeff Lake has consistently been anti-Trump, right. which I think really continues to bolster his, his true conservative nature. Speaking of, did you hear that Billy Bush is running for house? Oh, good lord. Oh, god. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, Jesus. I mean, don't oh, – don't get me wrong. I love a good Bush, but not that <laughs> one. Give me a Jenna or a Barbara. Like, that's fine. <laughs> but, oh, guys, you guys are dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think there's there's something to be said here for for his consistency in opposing Donald Trump. I you know I was watching Bill Maher last night. Thank God that season's back because it brings me great joy. But he I forget the guy's name, um, but he's the president of the conservative family, something or other. Um, and they were talking about Trump as a Christian. It was this real question of like, you know, does Trump really to you exhibit Christian qualities? And it depends on. What lens you're looking at Christianity? Well I, well, I think the hard part was that like it's so hard for me as someone who like, – I still identify as a Christian. I grew up a Christian. Um, you know. Like, I, It's so hard for me to look at Donald Trump and see him as someone that I go, yeah, he's doing it. And it's actually more painful for me to watch people who for a long time have been leaders in the evangelical church that, that I think in a long – for a lot of purposes is a very principled group of people. Um, right. You know, like this summer, I followed and watched a lot of the Southern Baptist Convention in Texas as they were meeting, and 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 had a lot of interesting conversation around the discussions being had there. Um, and, but it's it's painful to me to watch Christians continuing to def- to defend Donald Trump. Yeah. In in the lens of Christianity, right? No, that's that's the thing about like that's why I was raised Roman Catholic, and I, I don't associate with the church at all anymore because I just feel like. Especially in this country, and this is not a religious podcast, but I like, was like <laughs> already doing the transition like, out like, of like, this. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to politics, the, the Christian politicians are so willing to just say Christian values are whatever they are in the person who we want to support right now, right? Like, right. I mean, but I think that's it. it was so hard for me watching this evangelical leader sit there and talk about Donald Trump and talk about like. You you have to know the person outside of his public persona, and you have to know the person out. You know he's a very different person when he's at home. And, and and Bill Maher even asked him. He was like, okay, so if he's why do you say that? Right. And and this guy's answer was, well, when he says he's going to do something, he does it. He's a man of his word, and which like obviously we all know is not true. George Bush was a man of his word. Right, right. Donald Trump is not right. George and, Bush. And the thing about it is, like, the example that people continuously point to, and this is because I started reading, like, after I saw this, I was like, okay, I need. To, is this the is this the example that all evangelicals are pointing to to like Donald Trump being trustworthy? And it is. Everyone is pointing to he published a list of twenty one nominees for the Supreme Court, and he picked, and he one, picked one, of one of those twenty one. Yeah. And I was like, if that is your like your line of like one time he kept his word, right? Then I'm like really confused. As to that new definition of a man of his word. Yeah. But, but and I think that's what pains me so much. And I think that's what I appreciate about Jeff Flake. Is Jeff Flake has come out and said, this man doesn't align with, with what I believe to be true conservative Christian values. Right. And, and he has said it from the beginning. And he continues to say it. And, and that's what I want to see more. I, I am happy to see someone who identifies – Mormons don't really identify with the evangelical – part of the church but they carry some consistent ish beliefs around social aspects I don't want to offend any of our evangelical listeners that I'm sure we have plenty of <laughs> uh, by saying that Mormons and, and evangelicals share beliefs around doctrine but they, and they don't but around social issues they tend to share some pretty similar beliefs and, and it, it is refreshing to me to see someone in that kind of conservative socially conservative world coming out and going like listen he is not that for us. Right. He is not a conservative principles guidepost. Right. And, he, and he won't be. I mean, he's just not a moral guy. It just period. And, right. and and that's what I at least appreciate Jeff Lake for there and his consistency, right. is that he has never been behind Donald Trump. And it has always been a moral argument. And, and it has always been, I don't think this man is morally qualified to lead the country. And um, I, I, I agree with Jeff Flake, although I question the reasons we both disqualify his morals because... I think in some ways they're probably similar. Yeah. I mean, like, I, yeah. you know, Jeff Flake is going to... He disqualified him on the Access Hollywood tape because that's not how you talk about right. And that's the reality. Is like Jeff Flake is, is looking at his actions, not his stances, right. his actions, his words and his actions. And the words and actions of Donald Trump that you and I find morally reprehensible... Are the same issues. words and actions right, right. that Jeff Flake
0: finds? He's more looking for a full president. He's not looking for a president that's just gonna focus right. on the issues and it, whatever those issues may be, that day, that whatever he decides that day, but he's looking for someone that actually represents the office and represents the country right. appropriately, yeah. which is what all of the excuses that we hear from the pundits from the, on the Republican Party, from the conservative side, on CNN, MSNBC, wherever you want to you want to listen, all you're hearing are the excuses of, but look what he's doing, and look at the economic upturn of the country, and look at the development. No, look at the stock market. Correct. Like, look, yes. look at the stock market. Let's let's
1: and, well, and, and let's and ignore let's, the value of the dollar, right? Because the dollar is at its low point in years and yeah like not to turn this into an economic podcast but literally no seriously as somebody who watches the markets for a living these markets are still very much up on the assumption that Republicans are going to get tax reform through and all these other like pro-business things that one by one as they don't happen this is all going to unwind at some point, and then people aren't going to be pointing to the markets as much to say, look how great he's doing. Yeah. And the reality is the the markets are strong, and they continue to be strong. Um, they weren't exactly in a downturn before he took office. No. Um, but at there's the point to be made that the dollar is the weakest it's been in years. Yes, I mean, while the markets have grown, the dollar is plummeting, and and that's – when we want to talk about international economics, a far right. more important indicator of where we right. stand in the world, inflation is still under two percent. Wage growth is going nowhere. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean it's, I just, it's it's not enough to say. But I but I think one of the things that that as we talk about people like George Bush and Barack Obama and 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 I think one of the weaknesses of President Clinton when he was in was in office is that George Bush and Barack Obama. Were at their core recognized as moral people, right? Right. There right. were a lot of people that disagreed with their morals on either side. You know, a lot of liberals disagreed with President Bush's morals. A lot of conservatives disagreed with President Obama's morals. But everyone kind of agreed they at least had some moral when they, they were there. <laughs> you know, I think one of the downfalls of Bill Clinton and what I think actually Al Gore suffered from was being part of that administration. Was it wasn't an administration that everyone kind of looked at as, view, as guided by morals because of, yeah. because of the scandal. And I think Donald Trump is going to have the same effect on Republicans. He's not a president that anyone is viewing, any rational people are viewing as morally guided. Which in, in, that, in that light, like the fact that by, our, by this pods meter, Jeff Lake has put out a book. And he's been consistently showing himself publicly to be against Trump. Like those are pretty good gu- guide rails to like lining up a, a presidential run. Even though on MSNBC the other night he was asked, "Are you running for president?" He said, "Well, I'm running for re-election in 2018." Right sure. Now. Well,
0: that's always the game. But well, I mean, and also, yeah.
1: this is a man who said he was not going to serve more than three terms in Congress, and then when it came time to leave Congress, was like, "I'm just kidding. I'm going to serve three more." Yeah. So let's. I like he's. I he's running. It, yeah.
0: You know, and he will. So with that, though, one of the things that we've discussed a lot with other candidates is what big pieces of legislation they've had that will really influence uh, the public opinion of their potential candidacy. So if we're looking at uh, Senator Jeff Flake, Jeffrey without the second E – uh, how? What really does he have to his name that I, will make him a distinguishable character in the 2020s? I think the race? biggest
1: thing that his opponents are going to bring up, at least the Democratic ones, uh, who support background checks for gun gun owners... Oh, he's in the NRA's pocket. Right, but I think the, the biggest legislative move that he's going to bring up is when there was a, a shooting in Arizona. I forget exactly when, but there was a piece of legislation coming from a result of that shooting that was put forth... Was
0: that the Gabby Gifford shooting?
1: It I, think it, I yeah. think it was. I think it was got get Yeah, so it would um, – so he went on the record saying – talking to some uh, – No. It, well, he was talking to some – one of the victims' family – the. Um, a family member affected by the shooting, whichever one it would happen to be. And he said, you know, the woman was a, a Democrat, and he said, at least on background checks for people looking to buy guns, you and I agree. And like that kind of made the rounds – and then a week later there was a vote on a bill as a direct result of this shooting to institute background checks for all people wanting to buy guns, and he voted against it.
0: Ah, oh, the John McCain effect.
1: Yeah, I think
0: that <laughs> I think that
1: is going to be something that peop- that his democratic opponents drudge up and say, You can't trust what he says.
0: Which is a fair right attack. But I think important. at
1: the same time he has a he has a fairly good moderate case. In in his employment non discrimination, yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's really where he did the exact opposite. There, he said that the, so the 2013 version of the bill, which is the one that wound up getting passed, he said he had some issues with it, and it included the sexual orientation discrimination protection. He said before the vote he had issues with it, and then he wound up voting for it anyway. So yeah. so he has the op- he had the opposite experience there. Yeah, well, but I think the interesting thing there is that I think that actually could even point to his kind of bipartisan moderate stance is saying, like, I had issues with it, but that's what politics is. It's compromise.. Right. If, if there's a bill that goes through Congress that no congressman has an issue with, I, I don't know what bill that's going to be. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just don't. I mean, everyone has an issue with the bill because they come up as compromises. But I think, you know, in that case, he gets to point to it and go, listen, sometimes it's just the right thing to do because the bill as a whole was good. And and but, but at the same time, like again, he has a long history but it's a boring one. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's got a couple of instances where he was kind of bipartisan, he's got a couple of instances where he wasn't. People are gonna it's all it's gonna continue being brought up until they're all out. He voted to go to war with Iraq. Yeah, he
0: like you know changed his mind a few few years later, saying yeah, like, like, Oh, it's it was like a cautious view or whatever. Yeah, I like, mean well. so that's the thing, is it's like He's got some of those similar
1: milestones that people continuously point to, sure. especially Republicans. Right. That's that's one of the biggest ones that you saw in this election. Was in the primary, a lot of Republicans attacked attacked each other for their support of going to Iraq, and it was those folks who weren't in Congress at the time. Ted Cruz loves to attack Republicans for voting to go to Iraq. Right, loves it, and 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 that will continue to be a a criticism is that he voted to go to Iraq because that's it. Really, Republicans love to bring it up more than Democrats do? Yeah, it's true. It's uh, very true. They love to bring it up. He voted for it. You all did. Yeah. <laughs> like, If you had an R
0: next to your name, you were like, yes, please. War, yeah. Yeah. great. <laughs> Let's do it. So when we're looking at a candidate like Jeff Flake, and we've kind of dove into a little bit of what he brings to the table, and I do think that of a lot of the candidates that we've talked about, he is someone that I, I hear, especially on the Republican side, a little more positives about in terms of his bipartisan approach to certain issues uh, and some of the more favorable uh, views that he holds that at least are compatible with views of people on this podcast. Um, Is he the type of candidate that is going to be able to give Donald Trump a run in 2020? No. Why? He – whatever candidate runs against Donald Trump
1: or Mike Pence, whichever one of them is the incumbent at the time – um, possibly, Paul Ryan. actually, I heard a rumor that Mike Pence is already planning to run against He released Trump. a statement saying that that is absolutely untrue. But yeah, but does that mean anything? <laughs> but I, so, but I think the thing is that like whoever's running against, like, at this point, it feasibly could be Betsy DeVos. Who knows how far oh, down? Oh God, I hope not. I mean, who knows how far down? The chain of succession, like, people are going to get kicked out of office when this all g- comes crashing down. If she's down. president, we'll all, we'll all be given
0: guns for potential Grizzlies. Designated Survivor Season 2 yeah. on ABC <laughs> is actually a real Designated Survivor. <laughs> it's just a reality show now. Yeah.
1: But, like, Vince, the sudden twist this year. Finn Carson ends up president. Yeah. He's, he's the secretary of housing. And he's like, I don't want it. he's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I – so I think there's this thing where, like – Whoever runs against whoever it is, whether it's Mike Pence or Donald Trump, is going to face this ultimate challenge. That they, in order to win that nomination, they're going to have to capture the thirty-five percent who will support Donald Trump no matter what. Yeah. Like, and that's going to be by a definition. Hard, they really can't do that. That's going to be a hard task. Yeah. You know, I, it's why I think I said it last week, and thirty-three percent now. I think. No. I, think this, <laughs> I think this week it's showing more and more i i predict the next republican convention for president is going to be contested. contested because i think you have 33 to 35% of the party who will be loyal to donald trump no matter what and you have the rest of the party saying no thank you yeah and sorry 35% of americans Right. It, it's it probably is closer to 40 45% of the party it's well i mean the last poll I saw, he still has seventy-one percent approval among Republicans. Yeah, I, but I don't. I don't know that all seventy-one are going to be behind him no matter what. <laughs> no, no, no. I, that's just approval. <laughs> He's testing that that's right not now. That's that <laughs> strong approval plus slight right. approval. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I th- I think he probably sits with Republicans. And again, if I'm answering this question from a pollster, I'm going to say that I disapprove of his job no matter what. Right. <laughs> you know, like because I'm a Democrat. Right. Um, <laughs> so I think there are. Are you?
0: <laughs>
1: huh. I, sometimes I wonder myself. Um, but I think there's you know this kind of polling error in those cases where I voted for him, so I have to continue to say right. that I support right, him because right, right. like it's my fault he's there. Um, but I think there's probably a good 40 to 45 percent of Republicans who will support him no matter what. Yeah, unfortunately. and, and, and that right there is going to cause a problem yep. for the next
0: election because he is not going to run unopposed for that nomination not at all yeah. i think one of the larger issues and this is something that we probably need to touch on at one point uh maybe on a, a separate pod is that what we are really seeing right now is that our two-party system is in flux we have two parties right now that are trying to define exactly who they are and how they're going to move forward into the future uh the democrats more so are the democrats first off i think is what we focus on more based on the fact that hillary everyone believes she was a shoe in you have this right. this outsider come in and finally take over you have the infighting between bernie who is a democrat but not a democrat you have hillary you have the changing of the guard that people are pushing Uh, so the democrats are really trying to figure that out they just came out with their slogan which is absolutely terrible it's all um and you know hopefully that won't be what they run on in 2018 but moving forward to looking at the republicans as well that's also a party that's very much in terminal. terminal terminal They're in a terminal with Tom Hanks. Great movie. Um, they're in it's a terrible term- movie. That's a good movie. <laughs> they're in <a> t- <laughs> they're in turmoil. You have an outsider in Donald Trump who came in and really took the far right of every argument and won on that message. What you're seeing is that even the Republicans that politically put their uh, their faith in Donald Trump or their backing to, uh, behind Donald Trump. they're now pulling apart from that. and that's what we're seeing with Jeff Flakes of the world. That's what we're seeing with Mitch McConnell and some of his political plays. I don't know how he personally views things, but politically he's going to try to keep the power no matter how uh, you know, how bad things get. Um, but I think what we really need to discuss at some point is and what we need to recognize is that these are two parties that are in flux. We've had the Tea Party, we have the alt-right, we have everything that's going on right now uh, in terms of the outsider uh, voices that are kind of starting to infiltrate or have been for the past couple election cycles. And right now it's an issue where you're looking at 2018 and you're looking at 2020 and who knows what the hell is going to happen. 2020, both parties have contested conventions. It's just the
1: way it's going to be. That's a
0: really bold statement.
1: I, but, but I think the, the problem is, and we're seeing it in Republicans, is that you have so many people to the far right that are never going to be swayed towards a moderate. Yeah. But you have too many moderates at this point that I think are never going to buy in to someone super far right because they're seeing what happens when that happens. I think I, have, I think the Democrats have the exact same problem. The Democrats are having the exact same, same problem. There's a whole super left Bernie, like Bernie's, the most left of Bernie supporters who will never settle for a moderate Democrat. No, and I, but I think even with people like Canada that we talked about on this podcast before, Kamala Harris, you know, it's a prime example of someone who, for like three weeks, everyone was like, "Hails yes, and then all of a sudden that very far left side of the party is like, wait a minute, we found two things we disagree with her on and it's not OK. Same thing happening with Chuck Schumer. We're all like, great, Chuck Schumer, he's a really liberal, progressive guy. It's going to be great. All of a sudden, wait a minute, what's this free speech thing with Israel? And and, and that's the problem you're going to run into in both parties yep. is that and it, and it has never affected the Democrats as much. Because the Democrats far left <laughs> opponent Brody, I do not agree with your statement here. I think he does. He does not her, agree. Those are barks of affirmation. <laughs> um, <laughs> affirmation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, after him, for Brody, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but I think you know what happened was for a long time the far left side of the Democratic Party avoided the party, and we're okay voting for the Green Party and we're okay staying independent and. And what happened with Bernie was that he brought in a bunch of people into the Democratic Party who've now been in the Democratic Party for a year and feel like, like they now have a right, voice in the Democratic right, right. Party. And, and they're trying to make a move to take it so, I think so many people saw that you will not affect change with a third-party candidate. The way right. our country is set up, you have to buy into the, the two-party system. And, and so I think it's never plagued the Democratic Party as much as it's plagued the Republican Party because um, the Tea Party was able to do what it did because of that split in the Republican right. Party. In the Democratic Party, it's never really been a thing. You know, Your most progressive people were elected from your most progressive states. And it was never like you had a moderate Democrat coming out of your super progressive states. You never had a, pro- a super progressive Democrat running far to the left of somebody else and winning a, a, a moderate state. And, and, but now what you're going to find is that's going to be split. You're going to find the Democratic Party facing that same challenge Republicans are going to face. It's just the, the two extreme wings, the Democrats haven't really had one for a long time. The, the metaphor I like to use to describe all this succinctly is basically I think of what's happening now as far as the political spectrum and two parties goes as, as stretching a rubber band, right? And for a long time, you were just stretching it from the right side. But now we saw it with the whole Bernie movement, it's starting to stretch from the left too. And you can only stretch a rubber band so far before it snaps. And then that's when we get the kind of turmoil that Joe's alluded to, where in 2018, 2020, who knows what the hell is going to happen. Which
0: Ben is driving home by saying both parties are going to have contested right. conventions. Yeah. Right. I mean I, and,
1: and, and I think it's interesting because while we will I I believe we are always essentially going to have a two-party system in this country. Um, it doesn't mean the two parties are going to stay the Democrats and Republicans. No, I mean and that's I mean obviously in the history of our country we've right. changed parties and, and parties have revived you know, the Whigs! But I, I revive nothing. Revive the no nothings. That's oh, what I want. To nothings nothings. Nothing. Well, we um, basically had the no-nothings pretty much. We basically have it right now. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um yeah, the wig party, just a bunch of drag queens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. The wigs and the pumps, that's what I want. Um, but
0: <laughs> off the rails, off the rails. <laughs> Bring it back. Whatever. We're still the firmly DNC. In the, <laughs> yeah, so the
1: DNC is just a drag queen pageant. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Drag national convention.
0: <laughs> um
1: But I think there's – I do. I think there's something really kind of waiting in the wings. It may not be for the next election. It may be 2030 before it happens. It may be even 2040. But there is something that's going to occur where the two parties themselves are going to snap and reform. Yep. Um, Or I I think it's interesting. I think there's going to be a big push over the next decade to really look at the way that we elect people. And and I would not be surprised to see the electoral college come under attack again. I would love to see a a big push to get rid of it. I, I I forget where I was watching the other day, but it had to have been something I was watching online. Um, someone was discussing the idea that eventually America will build also end up with a um, Arab Spring. <laughs> no, no, oh, got it. A um, a proportional government. Yeah, you know, and and. And it was a really interesting kind of conversation around. It. It's the only really, w- only real way that we'll be able to fix some of this divisiveness and yeah. and some of you know. I think like there are valid arguments about the the vote of a Californian for president matters far less far le- than yeah. the vote of someone from Montana. Right. Somebody, and, yeah. Montanans have over three times the amount of voting power that somebody from California does. Yeah. I mean, for I think I saw I was actually watching a video describing the stats of this the other day. So, every. Uh, There's one elector for every 136,000 voters in Montana, whereas there's one elector for every 435 uh, voters in California. I mean, it's ridiculously unproportional. It's super unproportional. And so, but I think what I expect to happen is that eventually we end up with some constitutional amendments. um, And in fact, some ways the states can change it themselves. You know, the the U.S. Constitution doesn't actually dictate how someone gets elected to these things outside of the electoral college. To be elected senator, to be elected um, uh, to the U.S. House, both of those are in some ways kind of up to the states the way they want to send them.
0: Right. And I have so many directions I want to go with this conversation right now because <laughs> now we're opening up the Constitution. But let's make that a separate pot yeah, shot at some point. That's but, but I, but I, so I think this is what,
1: in terms of like the Jeff Flakes versus Donald Trumps in the world, and same thing on the Democratic side – you're going to see really contested conventions, and the question is going to be: In 2020, is which side of what party can get the most delegates to their collect- to their convention? Yeah, because it's they're going to be contested. I at this point, the way that both parties are operating, I don't see how they're not right interested. at this at this point where we sit. I agree with you. I mean, there's plenty of time for either party to clean that up. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I think the problem is I think the Democrats vote. are going to face a huge challenge in and amongst themselves because if they want to bring back in the white working class, which their new slogan and motto is supposed to be really geared towards that, mm-hmm. they're going to face the challenge of now that you've started focusing on the white people again, you've become that same old white Democrat. Right. That left black people in the dust, right. and and that's going to really take your progressives really far out of this, right. um, and or they can continue to kind of keep that message m- mild, and and not gain back that middle class white voter. I mean, it's and but the Republicans are going to face the same issue. There are a lot of very moderate independents or near independent Republicans that are like, listen, I'm. Not that. Like, I'm, I'm not a crazy conservative. I, I'm okay with people living their lives. Right. And, and it's, to me, it's going to be what happens in the next three years kind of nationally around, you know, if we have a whole host more mass shootings, I think then gun control becomes something that your moderates have to start thinking about. Right. If we have, you know, if we go to war somewhere... Then we're going to have some other issues that, that are going to. And it's going to be what happens in the next three years I mean, defines I mean, that, that defines. That, that really yeah. sways your moderates. Right. Because if you can continue to convince moderate Republicans or, or independents that everything is kind of going okay socially and we have to protect things like gun rights and individual privacy, then they're going to continue to vote Republican. Right. If we can. And I hate saying this, but like if something happens where gun rights become a, another major conversation, the problem is it's going to. Ha- I don't see how it happens. I right. mean, you had some of the biggest mass, shooting shootings mass shootings in U.S. history, yeah. but, but it gun, was I, no it play was play at play. a gay club. Yeah. And so you know, it's okay to write that off as it's God's punishment. Right. And and so you know, I think it it's going to be really difficult to heal um, some of the division that's there. And, and I think what's going to happen is moderates are going to feel really left out. I think something that may go towards long-term solving this solution, because I think this might be a cart before the horse argument, but something that's started to pick up steam in a few court rulings and I hope continues to snowball is, is, is gerrymandering and dealing with that um, Legally, uh, There have always been a few minor court rulings. Uh, like North Carolina has to redistrict because the rulings that was founded there. Their 2010 districting was like very obviously targeting blacks and minorities. So they were just told by a court to to redraw their districts. Well, and it's
0: everything with voter ID, voter suppression. Right. All, yeah, so, I mean, I a, think so that's so, a big piece so of it. So right like now. while, yes,
1: the easy way to go at the issue is – well, the, the the intuitive way to go about the issue is we have to figure out socially how to, you know, bridge the the discourse divide between voters. Like, I feel like if you fix some of the structural issues in our governmental process that you get a more head towards a more proportional representation, more fair ele- election, you know, then you get if you get a government in place that is encouraged to be more cooperative and. You know, that might bring the population back in line as opposed to going from the other way of saying we have to get the population in line first before we get a sane gun.
0: Speaking of structural issues, isn't the White House such a
1: dump? It's a real dump. Uh, <laughs> I saw Colbert put out like a short short clip of like uh, – it was a tour of the White House through Donald Trump's eyes. and It was just like – Colbert doing his Trump voice and walking through like a, a, a condemned run down shithole of the house. It was it was pretty You know crazy. what I miss?
0: I missed the Colbert skit from the uh, the primaries, uh, right before the uh, conventions when he was doing the Hunger Games guy. That yeah. was the best. I so like Bill Maher did a similar segment last night on Donald Trump on the White House at
1: dump. Del- and he had the the Barack Obama personator come out and say things that Donald Trump has said. <laughs> And it was like I'm just trying to see how people would feel if Barack Obama had said these words. <laughs> <laughs> he goes and at the end he was like if that's not wow. white privilege I don't know what is. And but that's the truth yeah. is that you know Donald Trump again if Barack Obama had said the White House is a dump There would be this uproar that he's unpatriotic and and the White House belongs to the people and it's a symbol of America, blah, 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 blah. Donald Trump says it's a dump and everyone's like, well, maybe you should take a 17-day vacation and renovate it. And, you know, but that's – it's so indicative of the Republican Party right now that they have embraced the polarization and and are perfectly fine and are perfectly fine being called out on it. Yeah. Like they will admit that six years ago – Things that are being brought up now, they were against, but now they're okay with it. Right. And those well, – oh yeah, of course. And because – and and Jeff Flake says this in his book. When your strategy is let's make sure he doesn't get elected again, and then when he did, let's make sure he doesn't do anything. Right. You lose the ability to actually stand on a policy high ground. Right. And now what's happening is that they found out in healthcare is that when you are – uninterested in working on it for seven years, you can't suddenly come out and go, here you go. Right. 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 I mean, that's the thing that to this day still amazes me is that like, it doesn't take from, from a, from a legislative, from a construction of legislation standpoint, it takes zero effort to, to say, you know, we're going to, continue to try and repeal Obamacare while Obama's in office. Like, saying and trying to do that does not stop you from putting your 13 old white men in the room seven years ago and saying, come up with something, you've got seven years. And the fact that they didn't do that is still, like... The biggest indicator to me about how the Republican Party is broke broken as a legislative body. Oh yeah, I mean, it's not even that. They knew they were
0: never going to repeal Obamacare right. while he was in office.
1: They knew it
0: wasn't going to happen. But they also didn't think that they were going to win the twenty sixteen presidential election. Think about it. Like,
1: wouldn't you think, as like just as a politician strategizing, wouldn't the best way to cement the Republican Party's dominance after after a potential victory by your party in the presidential election, is to spend the seven years saying, okay, we have to live with Obamacare for now, but once we have the opportunity, we are going to come out with a health care plan that is so comprehensive and so very clearly, as, as best as we think we can create, better than Obamacare, that people will go, wow, okay, these guys might have been right all along. They put but, a lot of effort into but this. But I think This is something that, that I think points to the larger political discourse that Jeff Flake is talking about, is... The need for sweeping leg- legislation. Both parties feel the need to pass sweeping legislation. Right. Yeah. No one is thinking. Well, like, I mean, Obamacare. For six years, everyone was like, "All right, it's got a little bit broken. It, it has a few flaws." Right. If bipartisanship would have won out, they would have come together and six said, the flaws." And said, "Okay, let's work on this flaw." Right. Let's work on this flaw, and, and, and let's fix flaws yeah. as we go along. Which was
0: a Hillary argument after right. a while that just got right. drowned right. out by but, everything else.
1: But both parties, both parties have been so committed to wanting to pass sweeping legislation. Yeah. They don't want to pass incremental legislation. Because it's about political points now. It's not about right. actual it's, it's, it's sweeping yeah, right legislation. Yeah. And, and, the, and I think the problem is what they found is once you pass sweeping legislation, it's really hard to go back. Right. And Democrats have to learn the same lesson. Because once Republicans pass sweeping legislation on school choice, right. on any of these in- – tax reform, right. it's going to be really hard to bring us back from sweeping tax reform. Right. It's going to be really hard even to take your moderate Democrats and go, all right, guys, that was a fun four years with low taxes. We've got to bring them back. It, it's, and, and that is where – it's, it's that was a fun four years of low taxes. Like, Let's but, get back to it. But it's, but it's going to be that kind of – like yeah. that's why bipartisanship has to win out because what happens is we end up with this hodgepodge of sweeping legislation that don't support each other. Right. And you just see example after example of people not willing to be the ones to take that first step on bipartisanship. Like when the health care vote passed uh, – failed, Tom Cole, uh, I think a house of representatives from Oklahoma, I think, uh, was, was being interviewed and – He said, you know, I'm not going to blame anybody for their vote. I think for the most part, people voted with what they really thought was right, and I can't fault anybody for that. That being said, I am disappointed this bill didn't pass. But the Democrats have been saying for a while, yeah, they'll admit that Obamacare has flaws. Okay, well, let's see what fixes you have for the flaws. And I'm like, Tom... You can come up with fixes for the flaws too. Let's see what you have. Why, well, why do you have to – now that your party's bill failed, why do you have to sit back and say, OK, the ball's in your court now, Democrats. I'm going to sit here and do nothing until you give me something to yell at.
0: I like to think like – like, or the like to picture nice. you sitting at your TV being like, Tom, <laughs> Tom
1: I you can, can do, do this. that same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean <laughs> uh, I yeah. do that. Yeah. Who doesn't,
0: Who doesn't speak that's, to that's, it. But I
1: think that's – but that's something that's so indicative is that – Democrats this whole time, and and I really feel this, Democrats are partially at fault right now because what they should have done, what they should have done is sat down with the Republican bill and drafted their own list of amendments and said, these are the amendments we would like to make. I think Chris Murphy did exactly that. Chris Murphy, I think, himself submitted over 100 amendments. He did.
0: But the problem but, but, is that but he dem- was
1: doing that procedurally. Sure. Yes, he was right doing that right. to slow down the boat. The problem
0: is that the Democratic Party is so steeped in this uh, stalling tactic right now to try to make things look as terrible as possible right. to paint a rosier picture for 2018 first right. and then to lead in the 2020 right. no, you're right. that they're not going to even cooperate even in that bipartisan that, like,
1: fashion. Like for every single time the Republicans tried to repeal Obamacare since 2010, they should have put in submitted one or two bills it's attempting to fix a flaw in Obamacare so that that would have given them even more ammunition sure. and said, look, they tried to repeal Obamacare 50 times. We tried to repair it 100 times, and they stopped us every single time. Right. That would have given reward. But ammo. That, but that's the thing. is that Democrats and Republicans, because they have become so polarized, the Republicans have been so focused on reversing Democratic policies, yep. and the Democrats have been so focused on preventing them from reversing Democratic policies, yep. That what they're running into now is neither party remembers how to produce legislation. Neither party is focused on doing it. And the Democrats have to be called out for it because if they would have said, fine, we can start with this. These are the amendments that if – if you will allow this bill to go to committee and go through the amendments process, these are the amendments we would like to make. Right. They still could have killed the bill. Right. Like it still could have been killed. But they would have shown a proactive stance towards admitting this needs to be fixed and we're willing to work on it. Instead, both sides still get to sit back and go, they weren't willing to work on it. And no one has anything to stand on saying, yes, we were. Right. And and that is where I thought both parties right now is that they both want to say bipartisanship has to rule the
0: day, but the Democrats are being very lazy about bipartisanship. Yes. Agreed. So you spoke a minute ago about sweeping legislation. So let's bring it back a little bit to Jeff Flake right now. Will he be the candidate that sweeps the Republican Party and potentially the nation? No. Should he run and will he run? Ben? Um,
1: he, you know what? He actually, he should. He should run. I agree. He should run. He we'll will, get to you. We'll get to you. <laughs> he should run and he will run. And I don't think he takes the nomination because as, as we saw, and I hate saying this, as we saw with Mitt Romney, it is really hard to convince evangelicals that Mormons are on their side. Good point. So, I think he will run, purely based on the smile he gave in that interview when she asked him if you were running. It was a very coy, like, I'm not going to say I am, but I am. So, I think he will run. (laughs) I like that voice you did. I I agree with Ben. I want him to run because I think he is the type of politician, let alone Republican or Democrat, he is the type of politician we need to bring this country back to. That being said, I want him to be demolished because I do not want somebody who's so religious being in the white house. Just, I am a big strong believer in separation of church and state and no ultra religious politician, especially Mormons have shown that they are capable of keeping their church and their state separate. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I do not want, I, I think there's something very interesting about that dynamic, especially when Jeff like is going to be running as like a moderate conservative. He's going to be running in that, like that pain of consistent principle and, and there are other candidates we have talked about that do that better. Yep. There are other candidates who do that better. They do that more often and they do it more effectively. And and that's why Jeff Flake won't even be the best moderate. Right. He won't even be the best consistent I, I conservative I want him in the pool in to take the spot of somebody who's less moderate than him. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't want anybody beating Jeff – or John Kasich. Like right. I, like no, I don't John want anybody Casey. beating him. He's, he's taking it. but. Right. But you know, but that's but John Kasich is a prime example of someone who is consistently, moderate consistently than, right. conservative, right. with true conservative credentials and true bipartisan credentials. Yes. That that can make every argument Jeff Flake makes in a way that is more
0: palatable to more evangelicals and also more believable to more moderates. And you just got me where I wanted to end on. Uh, the, when we were recording the other night, Dante and I talked a little bit about who we were really looking at right now as potential uh, candidates that we would support. I think Dante had talked a little bit about John Kasich. I talked about Grandpa Joe, uh, Biden. Ben, is there anyone that you are really looking at at this point in time, given an understanding that we have 2018 to worry about, and that's the real focus, but for the sake of this podcast and the theme, <laughs> Um, so interestingly enough, if there's a chance I may I, there's a chance
1: I move back to Texas in the next year, uh, I've already committed. I'll work on Beto O'Rourke's Senate campaign. <laughs> Be very clear about this. He's running against Ted Cruz, and I will. I'm working on his campaign. But um, candidate wise, I, oh man, that's kind of my limit. Like who whose campaign would I work for? And I think right now. If I, had, if I had to talk right now about a candidate, I would work on John Kasich's campaign.
0: Hmm, two for Kasich, huh?
1: I I
0: would gladly go to work for John Kasich's fundraising arm. Fair. I think that's something that's been consistent across the board when we discussed yeah. him a month and a half, two months ago. Yeah. Uh, already at this point. Well, wow. uh, we definitely, I think, all were on that. That side of when he ran this past year, he was someone that we all, uh, I was pulling for him to win. We're the pulling election. for, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think he,
1: in the same way, if I had to pick a Democrat, um, just to be interesting, I, <laughs> uh, I've been, I've, I've been a stand for John Kasich for a long time, but, um, if I had to pick a Democrat, I would probably say that I, oh, God, um, here we see the problem the Democratic Party is currently going through. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> tough. It's tough. I don't know that there's anyone that I'm like necessarily – Brody disagrees with you. i <laughs> yelling yeah, at you again. Ben, you're all over the place with Ferdy. He's saying yeah. Joe Biden. That's what he's barking. You know, I, I, I would support Joe Biden. I would support Joe Biden. Um, I'm trying to be more interesting than just right. saying the two that you've already said. Um, I, <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to say this. Elizabeth Warren. Okay. I, I could. Didn't you make a push for her staying in the Senate, though, rather I than did. running? Which I did. I just reaffirmed sure. recently again that yeah. she's doing that. I it. did. Yeah. I, trust me, I think she should stay in the Senate. But if she runs for president, which again, I don't think she will. Right. But if she runs for president, I, I, would also, I could get behind her.
0: Okay.
1: I okay. could get behind her. I can live with that. I, I think because she has. I, I think, one, because I want to I back a winner. Like I, you know, at this point, like I want to get behind someone and propel them to victory. Right. I don't want to get behind somebody and and I, it's so selfish to say like I don't want to get behind somebody and fight for victory. I want to get behind somebody and just be like, all right, guys, let's go. And and I think she's someone who
0: stands a real chance of winning.
1: I think Joe Biden is too. Oh, absolutely. I think the Obama I, coalition comes back together. for him. I said that on on Friday. <laughs> oh, I also right?
0: said you were a Bernie bro.
1: I did not. You, said you definitely that, said that. You said lie. that,
0: and we're ending.